Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by Andrew, QB11. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Doug. Just uh, kind of recovering from the, the late night drive back after the game and uh, really enjoyed kind of getting back in the stadium and watching a game in person for the first time this year. Yeah, your first chance to see a game in person, and it was my first chance to watch a game on the TV, uh, so very different experience, obviously, but, you know, either way, you know, a dominating Ducks win, 49-22 at Arizona in the desert, exercising some of those demons, first win there since 2015, right? Yeah, yep, I'm, well, if you count the Arizona State game, but we hadn't won at Arizona since 2011. Um, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, yeah so really, cool. it's been a while, a lot of, like, kind of janky weird endings to games and just bad plays and poor performances on the road down there in the desert and Oregon really came out and yeah like you said exercised those demons and, and showed out yeah in this game you know we say this all the time it feels like especially lately but this game was not as close as the final score and the final score was a 27 point margin I mean the Ducks went up 49 13 with five minutes left in the third quarter they at that point had 515 yards of offense, had gone on seven straight touchdown drives. Um, you know, easy, they could have pushed 700 yards in this game had they needed to. Uh, you know, they had 20 minutes left, a third of the game left, and they and they basically sat on the ball at that point. So, pretty dominating victory. You know, Arizona finished with two, or uh, Delora finished with 241 yards passing, but. Uh, Almost 140 of that, about 140 of that was after that score, after that 42 to 13 score, and we kind of entered garbage time, and he put up 140 something yards after that. So, I thought Oregon's defense played their best game of the season. Yeah, against a team that really had some talent. Like it was, I'm not sure if you saw it on TV, but there was an incomplete pass attempt for uh, T Mac early in the game. I think it was the second quarter. Um, and it was Gonzo and I think Bridges and pass defense on it and it ended up getting broken up. But I mean, he elevated, like he really got up and he's, he's long to begin with. He's a six, four guy with long arms and he got way up and basically went right over the top of Gonzo, which we know is a extraordinarily like explosive testing athlete. And just like, it made it look effortless, just floating above everybody else and the timing. And so like there, there's some players on that, on the outside for Arizona, uh, Cowling was really Jacob Cowling was really difficult to deal with early in this game. Um, that that are difference makers, and so it was a it was a unique um, challenge for our secondary to this point this season. I think that was the best receiving core that we've seen, and I think that for the most part they really answered the call um, outside of a few plays, and and that's just going to happen when you play against really talented players. They're going to get a couple. Yeah, uh, speaking of Cowling specifically, I mean he did have six catches for seventy seven yards, but you know, Oregon really held him in check of what he's been just killing teams on this year is those yards after catch, right? He's, I think his average on the season is close to 20 yards per reception and Oregon held him to 12.8. So he got, he got some, especially early, like you said, middle of the game, he got his catches, but Oregon really limited that kind of big play explosive ability after the catch. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting how they decided to approach the game um, tactically and dealing with him. Like they moved Gonzo into the slot, Bennett Williams, who's been playing the star position, the nickel position, and every game so far this year was playing deep safety. And they brought another corner in on the outside, which was Manning early until the bad targeting call, and then uh, Florence for the rest of the game. And and I think that's a mixture of things. I think having your best corner be able to move into the slot to cover a really dynamic player like Cowing is a nice luxury to have, but also the development of the corner position beyond our starting two guys and Bridges and Gonzo. Um, I, I feel like we have four corners right now that can play and play at a high level. 
So that that's a that's a good thing to have moving forward into the rest of the schedule as we play some teams with some good quarterbacks and, and passing games. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the last few weeks about the diversity of the offense, um, but I think we have to talk about uh, the diversity of the defense and and the willingness and ability of this coaching staff to game plan very different defensive um, strategies against different opponents. I think the last couple of weeks, this game and the game before, we saw you know, the defense, the defensive coach is saying, okay, we're going to play a light box. We're going to beat your run game with our front six, and we're going to dedicate extra resources to the pass game. It's particularly, like you said, in this game with the third corner. And, and I really like that they're game planning. We're not, they're not just going out there going, okay, this is our base defense. We're going to run it against everybody. Like they're actually going like, okay, what are the matchups this week? What are the strengths and weaknesses? Where can we, where can we scheme our team into an advantage? And I really, that really, stood out to me again this week uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So kudos for the coaches for that. And and it, for the most part, they were able to contain the run game again, um, you know, with that light box outside of the two, you know, kind of the two runs that break through that front line that went for big yardage, one for the touchdown, another for a long run. I mean, outside of that, they shut down the run game again. And and I, I think that that's a trade-off you'll, you'll live with, right? We, you know, dedicating those extra resources, extra cornerback to the pass game to, to kind of slow that down. Okay, you're going to give up a couple long runs. That's a good trade. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I mean, it, the crazy part here is that we installed basically a brand new defense for this week. Like, we had not ran a three-three, like a true three-three-five stack at all this entire season until Saturday. Um, and I think this says a lot about our defensive coaching staff just across the board: uh, Coach Lapoy, Coach Lanning, Coach Pallage, um, everybody involved with the defense. That we can be as multiple as we've been. We like our staff can coach any front, any scheme. Um, and it's that much is very, very clear at this point. And our players are executing at a high level because like that is not a system that you typically just see teams pull out of their butts randomly for one week. Um, and we've been a three, four base team most of the year. And a lot of people think, oh, it's really simple to just take one, one guy out and go to a three, three, five. Um, but the stack is a very unique system that a lot of teams will specialize in. Like that's what San Diego state and Rocky long have done for years and years and years and it's a unique system that's really tough to deal with and for us to just be able to pull that out on a dime and run it and run it at a high level and, and find ways to get flow Bassett and Sewell all in the field together at the same time was really really cool to see um in person like I, I want to shout out two guys specifically but Jordan Riley was a grizzly bear just absolutely mauling the interior of the of the Arizona offensive line he was uh, was allowing us to play that front he was just completely resetting whoever was in front of him on every snap. Um, and, and, and Taki Taimani has continued to play at a high level as well. So the defensive line depth um, and, and, and strength against the run is allowing us to be really, really multiple in the way that we deploy our linebackers. And, and I, it's, it's fun to see the staff um, really respect every opponent and, and show that we're, we're going to try to outcoach everybody regardless of our talent advantage. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, Oregon gave up about 350 yards in this game, but uh, you know, 150 of those, maybe 160 of those were were in garbage time after it was 42 to 13. So, you're really talking about, you know, 200 yards given up in the first, you know, two two quarters and 10 minutes of the game when when it was still I don't want to say in doubt, but when it's still a game, right? So I think that's really a credit to, like you said, the staff and the players who really came through. And I think really shut down this Arizona offense when it mattered. Well, I don't know that there's anybody that traveled outside of Jay Butterfield that didn't play. 
Like every like with when you're this is like the third game this season um, against Power Five opponents where there's 20 minutes left in the game and the game is over. And like getting road reps against against Arizona starters for our backups on defense, super valuable. I mean Jaleel Florence, man, like he just played so well. Like they had, they had a really ticky tack holding call on a pass he actually intercepted. Um, that was right down in front of us. And then he also had uh, another pass interference where he just textbook squeezed the guy to the sideline and just suffocated him um, and left no room for the ball to be placed. It still ended up getting caught, but it was just a really good throw and catch. But the coverage and the mechanics on the coverage were fantastic. And so going forward, I, I think that Triquiz Bridges' job is a little bit in um, in harm of being taken by one of Manning or Florence. But it's also a situation where just the depth is a real big advantage for Oregon going down the stretch of the season. Yeah, both of those guys getting meaningful reps, you know, not just this week, but in, we've seen it a little bit in weeks past, too. And then obviously this week with the third corner on the field, they got a lot more meaningful reps. And then um, I thought, I, I'm with you. I thought Florence looks like, yeah, he's a future star. I mean, he's got such good speed, too, right? He's He, he can he can make up for, you know, some of the lack of experience or some of the other things where he might get, you know, beat technically or, or something, but he can make up for it with his speed. I mean, if he catches that, that two point conversion, he's gone. There's no way anyone's catching him on that, on that play. Um, but yeah, I, I thought him and Manning both, both flashed, you know, really well in this game. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing them both in the future too. And this is the game where you'd want them to flash because again, they're going up against really talented receivers. Like Jacob County is going to be playing on Sundays next year. And uh, T-Mac is going to be playing on Sundays in two years. So it's one of those things where, or sorry, three years, but it's one of those things where they showed up and they stepped up in a big spot. It wasn't like they showed up and stepped up against a team that was incapable of, of challenging or threatening them downfield. Yeah. Yeah. Anything more on the defensive side of the ball before we flip over? Yeah. The pass rush started to come together a little bit more in the second half. Um, it was pretty clear. We wanted to keep things in front and just kind of get out of there in the second half of this game. But I think that, that's a continued area for development. Uh, it was really good to see Justin flow on the field, like especially live. He was playing so hard. Just when he's on the field, every play is his to make and the way he chases the ball and the type of range he shows um, and the physicality he plays with, he was playing, he was playing the best he's played since he's been at Oregon on Saturday. Uh, and I'm really excited to see that continue, uh, continue to get healthy through the bye week get more comfortable in the system with these reps and, and be an impact player for us down the stretch. Yeah, for sure. Oregon was credited with two sacks and five tackles for loss, but but to your point, I think they also had a lot of a lot of pressure on the quarterback that doesn't show up in the box score as well. That I think it continues to improve. You know, we and that's one thing too when you get a team down, right? You you can pin your ears back and really go after the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it, like you were talking about this too. Last thing on the defense here, they had a, a forty-three and a fifty-two yard run out of one hundred and fifteen yards rushing on twenty-five carries. So you take those two carries out. And they basically got nothing on the ground. So we did a really, really good job of, of containing the run game. And frankly, we were playing two high safeties and, and giving a lot more respect to the pass all night. So for us to be able to really contain the run game after out of, except for a couple of big plays, um, while only putting minimal resources towards the run is, is a good sign going forward. Yeah, I think that works out to about one yard per carry on the rest of those rushes. So... Uh, yeah, you'll, <laughs> that's, that's elite. That's elite uh, for sure. One other note, uh, Oregon got three turnovers in this game. So two fumbles and a, and an interception. So on a tip ball, 
So that's something, you know, we hadn't seen a ton of this year. Um, and we kind of pointed that out in our pregame show. I think we were looking more for, for interceptions on Delora after they got down. But, I mean, you'll take turnovers anyway you can get them. And, and the, the fumble was a great, you know, that one fumble that Bennett Williams caused was just a great strip sack by him on the, on the blitz, on the safety blitz. And then uh, I'm trying to remember the second fumble. But the, uh, it was the it was the first drive uh, where they were uh, cow. It was a Arizona uh, self inflicted wound. It yeah. was the cowing um, Delora fumbled exchange that DJ Johnson jumped on. Yeah, yeah, right place, right time. Which is you know uh, we always say fumbles particularly are are somewhat luck, uh, special recoveries. But you know you luck always evens out. And Oregon got one there, and then they created one later or created two later with the tip ball and the. And the strip sack. So, you know, three, three, um, three takeaways is good. We'll take that. Absolutely. Let's slip over to offense. Um, I feel like I'm running out of, of things to say about this offense other than just repeating myself week after week. Um, but this offense is really freaking good. I mean, this is a top 10 offense in the country, um, both statistically by almost any metric or measure or advanced stat, you know, system that you look at. But I also think just watching it, it's clearly, an elite offense. Um, and we've talked over and over again about all the ways in which they can attack you, which the diversity is really a, a huge strength, but I'll just go through, um, you know, the first eight drives of the game, the offense gained 88% of the available yards. Um, the first one, they went five and out of course, and then they rattled off 75, five yards, 75 yard touchdown, seven yards, 90 yard touchdown. Some uh, plays. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. Five plays, 75 yards, seven plays, 90, Nine for 86, eight for 75, eight for 75, four for 39, five for 57, seven straight touchdown drives, and then it's 49 13. And you know, you're putting in all the backups and bench players. So, I mean, just Arizona had no answer. And Arizona's not a good defense. Like, we all know that. We talked about in the preview game. They, they don't have a good defense. But uh, I, I mean, we've seen this week after week after week. I this isn't a fluke. This isn't, this isn't a product of playing a bad defense. This is a really good offense. Yeah, no, and the thing is, is that the entire play sheet for Coach Kenny Dillingham is green. Like, everything works. Like, Oregon could have won in any way it wanted to. When you're resetting the line of scrimmage and the run game the way they were, when you, your receivers are getting good separation, um, and when your running backs are just breaking tackles and, and getting, like, getting Bucky on the ground it has to be one of the most frustrating things for a defense because he, he gets six points of contact when, when contact comes. He gets really low, and he's just he's going to scrap with you for every inch um, and really make you earn it. And when you have a big physical offensive line leaning on you all day, you have a quarterback who's basically impossible to sack because if you do manage to get past a really good offensive line and pass protection, he's going to make you miss and go, go scramble for a bunch of yardage. You have a quarterback run. You have the ability to go 2010 Stanford and just 23 personnel your way into the end zone from midfield if you want to. Um, like There's just... It's a really frustrating. I don't know what you take away. I think teams are going to ultimately decide to try to take away the run. But with the way that the receiving group, the tight ends, and Bo Nix is playing right now, I don't know that that's an effective way. I think that's just going to get you down faster um, because the the Oregon passing game has become more and more explosive week to week, and I don't see that really changing as we move forward into the schedule. Yeah, I mean, Bo Nix just had really. I, I wouldn't say it's maybe his best game of the year, but it's it's up there. I mean, he just a complete game, super efficient. You know, the decision-making is perfect in this game, perhaps. I mean, he was 20 for 25, 265 yards, 
uh, and then he ran eight times for 70 and three touchdowns. He, he, he's become a, a touchdown machine on, on the ground. Uh, I, the, I feel bad for the running backs. Like all their care, all their touchdowns keep getting sniped by Bo in the red zone there outside of Jordan when he gets his shot. But uh, I mean, he's just, he's just playing and operating this offense at such a, a high level right now. It's, it's pretty incredible to watch. Yeah, he is. And again, like we're just so multiple and we, we showed off more of that 21 personnel look with the two backs that we ran last week and we were playing empty out of it. Like to, you go to 21 personnel teams are most likely going to start playing a little heavier in the box and we just were to spread you out and make you play empty against it. Like there's a, there's a lot of, of, of problems that Kenny Dillingham has put on tape for defenses. And we were again with the multiplicity on both sides of the ball. I, I can't imagine how difficult it is to prepare a college football team to play us and sit in seven days. Um, there's just not enough time in practice field or in the meeting room to really cover and get deep into everything. I mean, the we we showed the tight end um, jet sweep with Montevideo down on the goal line early in this game. Like, there's there are more and more counters that are built in to all of these personnel groupings and formations. I saw us run. Um, we run it unbalanced into the boundary. Like I've never seen a team do that. Like there was all kinds of stuff that we're putting on tape for, for future opponents, for Chip Kelly, for Kalen DeBoer, for uh, Kyle Whittingham and Jonathan Smith and, and all these coaches to get ready for. And I just, this offense seems like it's going to continue to improve um, and, and gain momentum as the season goes. Yeah, that uh, that Montevideo jet her jet sweep tight end sweep out of the was out of the the jumbo package too at the goal line right so it's our fourteen personnel package and it was yet another counter coming out of that package so we've seen it you know we've seen the sneak we've seen the the power run I I formation run we've seen the the tight end leaking out touchdown now we've seen the the tight end sweep touchdown I mean I'm sure there's even more variations we've, coming out of that formation but it's pretty incredible. we've handed off to the fullback out of that too we've handed oh off yeah we have yeah you're right. Um, so, and a fun stat of the game, uh, Oregon had seven touchdowns this game. They were all on the ground by five different players. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like we have shown to continue to not want any of our backs to, to get over a hundred yards rushing. Noah Whittington finished with 92 yards on six carries for an average of 15.3, obviously inflated by a 55 yard, uh, touchdown run in the first quarter. But it's just funny that we have all these different guys carrying the ball. You had Jordan James with 10 carries for 69 yards. Bucky Irving with 12 for 67. Bo Nix had 8 for 70. Sean Dollars had 2 for 9. 306 yards rushing without a 100-yard rusher. Um, I would be interested to go back and see how many times we've eclipsed 300 yards this year. I think it's quite a bit. Yeah. I, I How many times has any team ever run for 300 yards and not had a 100-yard rusher? <laughs> That's That just doesn't happen. Uh, it, you know, it's incredible. I, I love the way that that Coach Lachlan is deploying the running backs. Uh, you know, I love – I mean, they're going to be so fresh as the season gets to the end, right? You compare that to, you know, like maybe a team like UCLA we're going to see here in our next game in two weeks. You know, obviously, Zach Charbonnet is the real deal, and you want to feed that guy all all game long, and they will, and they do. But, you know, when week 11, week 12, week 13 comes around and he's sitting on 250 carries for the year and our guys are at 150, you know, that could make a difference. No, absolutely it can make a difference. And so keeping guys fresh and healthy and just the overall depth that has been developed on this roster, like even looking at Oregon receiving, we had like 10 guys catch passes in this game. Now, some of it was in garbage time, but most of it wasn't like Hudson had two catches for 60 yards. Coda had three for 60. 
Franklin had two for three for 38. McGee had four for 34. Irving had three for 30. Ferguson had two for 19. I like just kid and they go. The list continues on down down. It's just the ball is being spread around. There's not as much as Troy Franklin is clearly the go-to number one threat on the outside. Chase Cota has played really well. The slot fade, the catch and the throw by, by Knicks on that was tremendous. Um, I, I don't know who you focus on. I don't know what you try to take away. If Knicks continues to, to execute at this level, Oregon's going to be incredibly difficult to beat down the stretch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, that, that again, if you don't have a guy you can key on, it, it just makes it so much harder to defend, right? You don't know where the ball is going to go. Um, and, and Knicks is just masterfully spraying it around to whoever's open and whatever the, the play call, you know, is designed to, to, you know, where it's designed to go. And, and guys are all making plays like Chris's catch, you know, you know, diving catch at the end, at the goal line there was, was a great play. You mentioned the Coda catch, you know, Troy had that one, you know, over the middle that, you know, was a, was a great throw, you know, in the right place, a little high. And, you know, if Troy doesn't go up and get that, that's maybe a pick, right? I mean, to safety, I don't know if there was a safety back there or not, but, but that's a play where you see picks thrown, right? And, and Troy made a great play on that ball and brought it down. I thought seven, you know, had his most productive game with four catches, you know, kind of there in the third quarter, mostly, I think. And, and, and again, hitting Bucky out of the backfield, got the tight ends involved. Sean got some some work in the passing game. So, you know, just spraying it around to everybody, feeding everybody, get the ball, go make plays. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think this was Nix's best game from an accuracy standpoint. Like, obviously, the throw to Coda was tremendous, and he he was accurate for the most part tonight. Um, but receivers had to go outside their frame and make some pat, some plays on some balls in this game. Uh, like the the one you're talking about to Franklin downfield, like that that should be a, a bigger game. Like if he if he hits Franklin in stride there, there's a lot of room to be had, and that might be a touchdown. The throw to Hudson, um, if he hits that in stride, is a touchdown. So. Um, again, we're, we're making the plays when Knicks is maybe a little bit off receivers are stepping up and making good, good catches outside the frame. Um, and Nick and Knicks is making a handful of really, really impressive throws. So the, I don't think that this is the, um, peak of execution for the Oregon passing game, which is saying something when your starting quarterback goes 20 for 25 for 265, um, with a couple throwaways and then a one where he's him and Franklin were on different pages in regards to what, what should have been done. So, um, Again, this offense still has room for improvement. The offensive line continues to get better week to week, uh, but we have some more challenging fronts coming up here in the very near future. Yeah, I definitely think the offensive line deserves a shout-out as well. Uh, Oregon had no tackles for loss this game, which I uh, I think I credit uh, our friend James Crepia of the Oregonian who tweeted this out. I think it's 165 straight. This is the first time in 165 games where they didn't allow a single tackle for loss. And obviously that's on that's on everybody, right? The running backs, the quarterback, the receivers, um, you know, the the coordinator for sure, but also the offensive line. You know, I think they deserve credit. There's seven guys that are playing regularly there, right? We've got the three guard rotation with uh, JPJ and and um, and Ryan Walk, and of course uh, Harper, and then of course center Forsyth, and then the two tackles Sala and and Bass are both playing really well. And then, of course, Connerly comes in at that jumbo package. So credit to to all all seven of those guys who are playing because they're playing at a really high level. Yeah, absolutely. And and when we went deep into the bench, I think that, like, obviously there's some growing to be done and um, some technical stuff to be cleaned up. But I think that our guys competed well against the Arizona starters, whether it's Dave Iuli 
or uh, Josh Connerly or Rossi at center or JPJ or Ope like or or even uh, Dawson Jarmillo. So um, continuing to get those guys reps like that just builds up their confidence um, and, and kind of it, it shows them what they need to work on next offseason, getting ready to step into more prominent roles um, with some of the graduations that we're anticipating. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned that Noah winning in touchdown run earlier. And man, what how nice was it to see a running back make the two cuts that he made on that play? I mean, it, it was obviously well blocked, but that first cut he made to cut it back inside and then the way he he made that second cut to make that second level player miss and then he was just gone like shot out of a cannon. It that was that was so fun to watch. Yeah, he's a. I, we have a bunch of different kinds of running backs, but they're they're all explosive in their own way, and they they all finish. Like you could tell that Coach Lachlan really prioritizes toughness in the running back room. If you're not gonna if you're not gonna fight and scrap and protect the ball and really get after it uh, to to close out runs and and fight for extra yardage, you're probably not gonna play a lot for Coach Lachlan. Like you're probably not gonna be an Oregon running back going forward. So. Um, I, I love the identity that he's instilled in that room. I love the play that we're getting out of that position, and I'm really excited to see um, the continued growth there as we move into the season. Yeah, one thing that's clear to me watching those guys is every single one of them, as, as soon as they're in traffic, they, they're covering up that ball with both arms. But they're not, they're not covering it up to go down, right? They're still churning. They're still churning their legs, but you can tell they're being coached. Fumbles are not acceptable. And that's good, right? And I think if you know, if and when somebody eventually puts one on the turf, uh, we're going to see how how coach reacts to that because that's a that's a pride thing with him, and and it's clear the way he's coaching them that you cover up that ball, you protect that ball, and so far I don't think there's been been a fumble from a running back and you know getting tackled yet. Yeah, no, there hasn't been, and ball security as a team has been very good. Uh, you don't. It's almost like when a pitcher's thrown out hitter. I don't know. We should talk about it too much, but. Uh, you could tell it's been ball security has been emphasized. It's it's part of the reason why um, Chris Hudson has taken over full time duties, fielding punts. He catches them all. Like that's that's the key here. We just need to maintain possession of the ball because if you give the ball to our offense, good things are going to happen. Um, but it's just a matter of you got to continue to uh, you got to continue to work on that and emphasize it so that we so we don't get complacent. Some interesting things here is we're kind of in the midpoint of the season. I know we have some content planned here for the bye week. Um, but Bucky Irving through six games, 429 yards. I think that we could probably see him get to 1,000 this season. Uh, Troy Franklin, kind of ironically enough, has tw- 429 yards receiving. Uh, I think it's very likely we see him get to 1,000 yards this season because I think we're going to have some more competitive games where we're actually playing offense for four quarters as opposed to two and a half Um as we as we move down the stretch of the season here yeah yeah for sure i think there, we could see some of those numbers come up i know i know dan's not a big stat guy but you know fans are and you'd love to see you know guys hit some of those milestone marks as it comes down and to your to your point i i do think you know certainly this ucla game looking ahead you know utah rivalry games always always interesting and then of course utah oregon state at the end of the year i mean there's there's definitely some opportunities for games that maybe maybe the offense to stay on the field and with the first team and competing you know at a high level for deeper into the game coming up but this is what we've all wanted right like we've been talking for years like man we got to put these teams away we got to put teams away and, and we're doing it we're finally doing it yeah that's like i was super nervous going into this game how many times have we seen an oregon team go down to the desert 
have a let up, play well below their talent ceiling, and just get beat by teams that they're substantially better than. Like it's been, it's happened so much, um, and I, it's almost like post crystal ball derangement syndrome, where I just feel like it's it's taken a larger sample than it probably should to just get put my heart at ease here that we're a well coached football team and we're gonna show up and play and execute at a certain level every week, even if we're having an off game like we did, I think we did a week ago. Um yeah. against Stanford. Like we, we weren't executing as cleanly as we I'm sure we would love to. We still took care of business. And so going forward, I think as we make our picks against the spread with Oregon, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of be I'm gonna be confident in the fundamentals of this team and what we know about it. And then of course I'm sure we'll, it'll burn me at some point, but this is a this is a team that deserves to be trusted based on their performance at the, to this point this season um, and the performance of a new staff that has really, I think, taken this program to a higher level. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but it's worth calling out again. I mean, just the 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 game mechanics execution from a staffing standpoint has been really high level, like especially for a new staff, first time head coach, right? Timeout usage, clock management. Um, you know, kind of knowing when to, when to shift into the, you know, put the backups in the game, when to, you know, kind of empty the bench. All of the mechanics of coaching a game have been, I mean, I think you could quibble with a few things here or there. I think we've been slow getting calls in on defense at times against teams that play tempo. But for the most part, I, I mean, I'd have to give the staff an A so far, as far as they're like managing a game. Yeah, they've been pretty flawless. Like Washington State, we didn't execute at a super high level offensively in the first half, but really, if we did, that game's a blowout too. Like we've been handling these teams, um, and I don't know that we've played any super elite teams, but I don't know that we have any super elite teams left on our schedule. Like I think UCLA is a very good football team. I think Utah is a good football team. I think Washington is capable of having a performance, um, but I think that Oregon is doing exactly what it should be doing against the level of competition that's playing, and so you can't downgrade a team for that. Um, just because they're not playing exceptional teams. Yeah, and I, I think we have to call out the middle eight. Of the The television crew talked about this a little bit in the game last night, and it's something you and I have been talking about offline for the last few weeks, right? But that that I think Oregon has received the second half kickoff in every game this year. Maybe not, maybe not one every game, but one. And and you always look, think about that. Okay, can you end the first half with a score? get the ball back and get another score to start the second half. So a lot of people call that the middle eight, right? And Oregon has just been killing the middle eight. Uh, BYU, they got a touchdown before the half, touchdown right after the half. Washington State, they got a field goal right before the half, and then they got a touchdown after the half. Stanford, they got two touchdowns in that last four minutes before the half. Unfortunately, they went five and out and punted to start the third quarter. didn't really matter much in that game, but I think that's the point you make about we kind of didn't play our best that game. And then, of course, Arizona, we got we got the touchdown, uh, touchdown, touchdown combo, you know, before and after the half as well. So Oregon has just been really elite in that middle eight part of the game that that's allowed them to put games into garbage time before the end of the third quarter. Yeah, Oregon's Oregon is winning in situational football where we're prepared. Our guys know what they're doing. And then like the defense is getting better and better week to week. I still think there's a lot of juice to squeeze. Um, and we're going to need to squeeze that juice because UCLA is a very good offense. It's probably the best offense left on our schedule. Um, and we're and Chip is an exceptional play caller, and he's going to have them ready with some good stuff. And so um, this this bye week is important for multiple reasons, getting healthy being one of them, but also just continuing to, to develop our skills um, within both technically as individual players, uh, but 
our eye discipline and just being better as a defense and as a unit. Absolutely. All right. Any final thoughts on this game? Are you ready to move on to uh pack 12 and, and kind of national games? No, I think we did a good job covering it. Let's get to the other stuff. Okay. So we'll start with the pac 12. Um, we both picked Oregon to win and cover this game and they did. So we'll, we'll take the, we'll both take the wins on that one. Let's move over and talk about the game of the week. Of course, Utah at UCLA, Utah came in as a four and a half point favorite. UCLA won by 10, 42 to 32. This was a real game. I think in our pregame show, we talked about this is a game where we're going to see, we're going to learn some things about both of these teams. I think Utah had been feasting on some pretty, pretty poor competition, you know, the last several weeks. UCLA looked really good against bad competition. Then they, you know, they played Washington and they dominated that game. And I thought, okay, this UCLA team's pretty good, but is Washington any good? And then, you know, we got to see a good on good matchup here. And, and UCLA won pretty handily in my mind. Yeah, no, I, I missed portions of the second half of this game, but I kind of saw everything I needed to see in the first half in regards to just how this game was playing. Without Keithy, Utah is just completely lacking for any type of vertical explosive playmakers that they can use on a consistent basis. And it seems that without him and without kind of the like oddball stuff that they were able to do with him, whether it was handing the ball out of the backfield on jet sweeps or throwing screens to the tight end or throwing vertically down the seams to him, they, they seem to be lacking any type of unique explosiveness um, to threaten defenses. And so as such, like Ludwig is playing a very straight up brand of football and they're very straightforward to defend because of that. You stop the run, um, you force Cam Rising to beat you with throwing to a, a cast of characters that's not very explosive and you live with whatever comes of that. And I think UCLA saw that on film and, and executed that at a pretty high level. And then offensively, UCLA just knew they were faster and they expressed that um, through their game plan and their execution DTR is playing at a super high level. I would probably argue that to, to, to this point, he's been the best quarterback in, in the conference through conference play. Um, and, and Charbonnet was able to get some stuff on the ground. I just, I don't think that this Utah front seven is what it was a year ago uh, or what it's been in years past. I think that this is a team that's kind of average relative to what expectations were. Yeah. I think both their offense and defense are are both a click down from where they were last year as well. I, I don't think they're they're quite as, especially without Keithy, right? I mean, that was a big loss for them. Um, but I, I'm not sure they were even as good even with him. But defensively, it's it's more clear that they've taken a step back, like you said, in that front seven particularly. So uh, I'm, obviously that Oregon-Utah uh, game is several, several weeks away still. But, you know, USC does travel to Utah this coming weekend in what's the, obviously the Pac-12 game of the week. And um, that's two teams that I... I don't think are as good as they've been ranked. Obviously, Utah dropped considerably. They're down to number 20 in the polls now, which actually was not as big of a drop as maybe I was expecting for them. But, you know, USC continues to be ranked number six in the AP. I don't think they're the number six team in the country by any stretch of the imagination. I guess we can move right on to their game. We both we both got the Utah game wrong as we picked Utah, um, you know, to to win and cover. So we were clearly off on that one. Uh, but moving on to the USC game, I mean, they won 30 to 14 over Washington State. The the spread was 13, so they barely covered that. You got that one right. I missed it. But again, it, to me, it's the third straight week where I'm not blown away by USC, especially their offense. I'm not I'm not blown away. No, they don't execute 
within the system at a particularly high level, and we'll have to wait and see what the injury to Jordan Addison is. That could be a real problem for them. I think Brennan Rice is stepping up and playing well, and they obviously have other guys at receiver, but he was pretty far and away the best receiver that they had. Um, and Caleb Williams continues to be exceptional outside the pocket, extending plays and improvising, but only just okay playing, running the offense um, from the pocket. And so I don't think that they're going to be able to run the ball as well against the teams coming up on their schedule. I think that USC is probably going to find two losses on the rush to the schedule. Um, but Cam Ward is just not dependable. If they had, a, if Washington State had a good quarterback, I think they might be. I mean, they'd be they they might have beaten us even. I mean, they'd they'd be a pretty good football team. Yeah, I think their defense, Washington State's defense. You know, is uh, we talked about them a lot. They've played they played really well. They rallied to the football. They used their speed, you know, as their advantage. Um, and I think offensively, they just are so limited. Right, their running game is not good, and it feels like their entire passing game is is dump offs and swing passes and wide receiver screens and you know try to get to the edge and and make some yards that way they they don't really have it 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 feels a lot like like oregon's offense last year although without the running game and on offensive line right it's just like we're gonna dump it short and hope our guys can can make yardage like they just don't throw down the field yeah no i agree it's they have to play a certain methodical pace and they they're not stopping explosive plays on the ground the way that they were a year ago. Like the the drop off from Diabat Lloyd to Diabate is pretty noticeable and I don't think they're particularly athletic in the front. It seems that the, the UCLA was pretty capable of getting the edge and going lateral on them as much as they wanted. Um and that just opened up the entire playbook for Chip Kelly in that game. Yeah, uh, let's move on. Arizona State hosting Washington. Washington, fresh off their loss in the Rose Bowl, goes back out on the road. They're a 14-point favorite in the desert against an Arizona State team that has looked just incredibly bad, haven't had a pulse. Um, and Arizona State pulls off the the upset win at home, 45-38, in, in a game which featured no defense by either team. I mean, it was I was watching this one, and it was just like, Score, score, score! You know, if a team didn't turn it over, uh, you know, it was it was going to be a touchdown score. And Arizona State was playing with their backup quarterback. Their starter went out early in the game on a targeting hit, and their backup uh, played better. I mean, I think he's better than the starter. He he lit up. Maybe it's just Washington because he lit up Washington's his defense. And and man, I don't know. Arizona State. It feels like maybe they're turning a corner a little bit with their with their interim coach. I thought they they competed well against USC last week. They obviously came to play this week and and took it to Washington. But Washington is a team that can't stop the run, can't stop the pass, can't run the ball effectively. If if their passing game doesn't outscore somebody, they're in real trouble. Yeah, and that's not a good way to win football games. And Arizona State was. I, I don't know if they play Colorado. I think they do. If yeah, they, they didn't did. play Colorado, Arizona State was probably the worst team left on their schedule, um, and they lost to them. And so, with a backup quarterback, nonetheless, like this is a team that all almost all redeemable skill talent had left the program uh, during the off season, whether via the draft, the transfer portal, uh, or other. Like uh, they did this with basically three guys. Like it was Ariel not on the ground. It was Elijah Badger and Brian Thompson through the air with a backup quarterback that I. Doubt anybody, even the announcers, had heard of before this game started, um, and that's a problem. Like you've got to be able to stop somebody, and they, Arizona State was able to be balanced. They were able to run the ball. They were able to throw the ball. 
uh, the Washington passing game is still very, very good and explosive, and it's going to cause problems for people. But it's just so much pressure to put on one aspect of a team. Um, if Michael Penix has an off night or doesn't play well, particularly well, or if they or if they play a team who has a secondary that's capable of maybe putting up some resistance, like they, they're in trouble because if they're not scoring, they're falling behind. Um, and so I, I am substantially downgrading Washington after this game. I there's a lot of games coming up on their schedule that are losable that I would have thought were sure wins about a, about three weeks ago. Yeah, and that's a good segue to we will be talking about our updated power rankings uh, after we get through the rest of the games this week. So stay forward for that. Stay tuned for for that at the end here. Um, yeah, I I, well, I think Washington's got a real battle on their hands. They're coming back home finally, where they've you know obviously four zero, but Jaden Delora and that Arizona receiver core. They got to be having big, wide saucer eyes, you know, looking at this tape of the Washington, you know, secondary and pass defense. And I think that I think that opened at like a 15 point spread or something. And man, I'm I'm taking Arizona on those points all day long. Yeah, I 100 100 percent agree. Cheating ahead a little bit. That's next episode. But uh, yeah. Um, so that leaves the Pac-12 after dark game. <laughs> Oregon State going to Stanford. The Cardinal reeling, having lost, I think, 10 straight um, conference games coming into this one. Oregon State obviously lost two in a row to, to USC and Utah, and games in which they competed. This game, wow, Oregon State would just look terrible for most of uh, 55 minutes, I'd say, or maybe even more, and, and Stanford built a substantial lead. Oregon State came back, and if you haven't seen the the last play of this game that gave the Beavers the win. I, I don't know what in the world Stanford was doing. So it's, you know, Oregon state needed a touchdown they had 20 seconds to go. They're on their, their side of the field. They threw a sideline pass and, you know, Stanford had two defenders there. So the first one contested the ball. That's great. The second, the safety was coming in, could have easily made the tackle. Instead, he just stops, literally stops watches the play and and watches the receiver make the catch and turn around and run by him for the winning touchdown. I I am no idea what that safety was doing on that play. Uh but Stanford found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory and and lost 11 straight now. Um I actually picked Stanford in this game even though you gave me a mulligan to change my pick and I smartly didn't and I won. Yeah. Um Stanford should have won this game. I was wrong. And this game was brutal to watch. I actually felt bad, genuinely bad for Stanford because Treshawn Harrison made a hell of a play to 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 end this game. But Stanford, like outside of a couple explosives, like pretty much was able to slow down the efficiency run game. Oregon State can't consistently throw the ball because they still have massive quarterback issues. I, I don't I don't know what to feel here. Like Stanford's really bad, and Oregon State has been getting given a lot of benefit of the doubt for losing the the way they lost to USC at home. But like, to, and, and as far as I'm concerned, that the benefit of the doubt is gone. Like they've used it all up. Like they have not played well against hardly anybody this season. They they have two wins against Fresno and Boise. It turns out Fresno is not very good. Um, and if it wasn't for a bunch of turnovers, the Boise team, yeah, like, but that Boise game was a lot closer than the scoreboard showed. And Boise has made a quarterback change and an offense change, and all of a sudden looks competent. Um, I, I I just I don't. I don't know that anything that this Oregon State done is Oregon State team has done is all that impressive. Uh, the the only other issue I have here is that there's like four good teams at the top of this conference, and it seems like there's a pretty hefty middle of teams that 
I think we might have thought were a little bit better than they actually are. So, like, where to place them as we get into our power rankings is, is becoming difficult because they won and they've continued to win, but I, I still don't think they're really that great of a football team. Yeah, I think I messaged you last night and I said, whoever ends up in number five in my power rankings today will have backdoored their way into it. It's like five by default because I have to pick somebody. But I think the drop-off you know, after the top four is pretty substantial. And like you said, I, I totally agree with you. I think the middle... The middle is not as good as maybe we thought it was. So I, I, I totally would agree with that. Yeah, it's gonna. I'm interested to see what you, what your rankings look like because um, I really struggled with mine. Do we want to just do that right now before we jump into the national games, or do we want to make our listeners wait a little longer? No, let's let's get into that because I think that needs to be addressed first. Okay. All right. Number twelve, Colorado. Even though they had the bye, they're going to stay in number twelve for me. Yeah, I agree. They're bad. Uh, they're they're not winning a game this year. So any team that's winless is going to be the worst team. Um, at eleven, I'm oh, sorry, I'm pulling up my list here. Here we go. At eleven, I got Stanford. I feel bad. Stanford should have won. They probably still would have been eleventh on my list despite winning, um, just because I don't. I just don't think they're very good, especially defensively. I think that most teams in this conference are going to be able to run the ball on them. Uh, and as good as Tanner McKee is with a clean pocket, the pocket's never clean. So uh, I got Stanford at 11. Uh, who do you have at 11? I've had Stanford at 11 for three straight weeks, so I'm keeping Stanford at 11, and it's nice to see you finally seeing the light on that one. Yep, and then I got Arizona at 10. Uh, I'm going to give... Okay. I, I think Arizona is better than this. I think that they're an explosive team. Um, that, that causes some problems. But the fact that they lost the way they did to Cal, uh, the way they lost to us, um, they, they beat Colorado, but like beating the worst team in the Pac-12 doesn't really do a whole lot for me. Uh, so I, I've got them at 10 now. With with uh, They've got some opportunities here coming up to move up the move up my rankings. Yeah, I, um, I have Arizona State still at 10. I you know, maybe I, I kind of like your reasoning on this one. It makes a lot of sense to me. I just I'm not ready to like elevate Arizona State too high up from from ten, based on beating you know the Washington team we, we've been talking about. But I I totally see your reasoning here. Arizona though does have a tough stretch. They play they play USC. I don't know the right order, but they play USC, Utah, um, UCLA, and Washington in the next four weeks. So. Yeah, so they they go on the road to Washington, and then they have USC at home. They go to Utah, and then they play UCLA on the road. So they got a tough week there. There's a bye week somewhere in there. Um, I think it's after they play Washington they have the bye, but it's it's a tough stretch nonetheless. Yeah, I think they're going to stick. They're going to fall down my board. I'm sure over this stretch, they're probably going to not you know go anywhere on your board. Best case scenario over that stretch, and then I think their opportunity to move up the power rankings is going to come the last two weeks of the season, right? They got a home game against the Cougars that, that could, could be an opportunity. And then of course the final game, you know, the, the territorial cup against the, the Sun Devils. So, um, you know, I, am really encouraged by what Arizona is doing. Uh, you know, I think fish has got the program in the right direction, but yeah, this is year two from a team that was, was just a complete dumpster fire when he took over. So, and it's going to take time, but I, you know, we'll see. I think they'll be able to. I think they'll be able to win one in that stretch. I don't know who they'll beat, but I do think they'll be able to win one. Um, unfortunately, they they didn't get the best draws from the north. They don't get to play Stanford. Um, at nine, I'm sure this is going to be different than what you have. I have Arizona State. Um, I know they beat Washington, 
but Arizona State and Washington, if they played 10 times, I'm pretty sure Washington would win seven of them. I still think Washington's a better overall team than Arizona State. Um, and so I, as much as power rankings, I'm still going to rank these teams in terms of who I think would beat who on a neutral site. I think Arizona State-Arizona is going to be a really interesting game at the end of this year. Um, but for for now, I've got Arizona State after the Washington win above Arizona, despite the fact that I think Arizona is a little bit better of a football team. But I got ASU at nine. Um, I've got my my big drop of the week at nine, Oregon State. I they're I just don't think they're a good foot, especially without a, a, any kind of quarterback play at all, and which quarterback play is so important. I, I have them dropping all the way down to number nine. Interesting. Okay, so I think we're gonna depart here quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> over these next ones, which is going to be kind of fun. So at I like eight, the wild swings. Yeah, so at eight, I've got Washington. Um, they've got two conference losses already. One of them is to a team that I've got really highly rated on our on our power rankings. But losing to Arizona State, I don't care if it's on the road. Um, good teams beat bad teams. And this is this is just a case where I don't think that Washington is nearly as good as maybe we were giving them credit for a few short weeks ago. Um, they're extremely one-dimensional offensively and defensively. I don't know that they have a dimension that they can le- re- like rely on with any level of consistency. Their run game looks better than their pass game, but part of that is just as product of teams just being able to throw the ball over the place on them and not really even trying to run the ball. Um, I, I think that this is a team that um, is 100% reliant on big games from Michael Penix to, to win, and if he doesn't provide that, it, it's it's a substantial problem. Yeah, absolutely. I have Arizona at number eight. Um, so for all the reasons you you and I have talked about, and I'll okay. go to number seven. My number seven is Washington. So well, let me let me let me get my eight out real quick then. Oh, you already did Washington. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. I got my I got my eight. yeah. So I got Washington at seven instead, and you must have. Uh, I've got Oregon State eight. at seven. Okay. Um, okay. because despite the fact that I hate the way that they've been winning, they are winning. And so I can't like I can't just take it away from the fact, you know, you know what I mean. I can't punish him for that. Um, I mean, they won one. They lost two in a row before this one. So yeah, but they also played two teams. Like I, I think that there's such a stark contrast between the top four and everybody else in this con in this conference Fair. that I'm punishing teams less for losing to Utah, UCLA, Oregon, and USC than I am to to losing to anybody else. So like going on the road and losing to Utah in a way, especially if you watch that game, the way that the game flowed, if they had even a halfway decent quarterback, they they could probably win. Um, and then they play USC really, really tight. Um, and so I'm still giving them some credit for that. They If they would have lost to Stanford, I would have had them even low. I would have probably had them down at nine. Um, so I understand why you did that. But they the fact of the matter is, is they're finding ways to get it done. And I, I think that they... Despite the fact that quarterback is the most Im- important position in the sport, they I think they're a more balanced team from top to bottom than the teams I have below them in Washington, Arizona State, and Arizona. I think that they're just there's a higher level of baseline competence um, across the board there. So that's why I have Arizona, Oregon State at seven. Yeah, I was looking at my power rankings and during the end of that Oregon State Stanford game with the assumption that Stanford was going to hold on and win, and I was genuinely perplexed as how I was going to rank these like, you know, eight, seven through seven through 10, seven through 11 teams in the scenario where Stanford beat Oregon state. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't know how to do this, <laughs> but then uh, thankfully, I guess, or on, you know, unthankfully, depending on your perspective, 
Stanford uh, blew it, and it made it made it a little easier to pull out the rankings. I, I get your logic to have them at seven, where I've got them at nine, and I, I can't argue with it. So let's just move to number six. Perfect. I got Cal, um, and the reason I have them there is pretty simple. They lost to Washington State, um, and, and they lost pretty consi- uh, convincingly to Washington State, so I'm not going to have them above a team that they lost to. Uh, I got Cal at six, kind of by default. I think that this Cal, Oregon State, Washington – like bunching is they're going to brutalize each other. And I'm not sure who's going to come out of those stretch of games um, with what wins, but this is kind of something we talked about on our preview podcast, where I think all these teams are going to finish um, in a clump. Yeah. I think they're all going to be, I, I kind of, in a tweet I put out last night, I was listing like t- tiers, right? So I've got the top four as PAC 12 contenders. And then I've got three teams kind of in what I'm calling the bowl eligible tier. Um, I've got two more teams that are in like could get to bowl eligible if they if they you know sneak an upset or two and then of course I've got the bottom three, <laughs> so yeah. I, I totally agree with that logic and I've also have California at six. Um, I, I think you know they're a solid defensive team, still can't do a whole lot on offense. They're they'll probably win six or seven games, make a bowl game, and you know that's basically the best that Cal can probably hope for during this era of their existence. And you know they're solid. They're, they're just a solid average team. Um, and I've got yeah. Washington State at five, obviously. Yeah, I agree. I have Washington State at five. One thing I'll say about Cal is like they do have some playmakers on the outside. Like Sertavant, I think is how you pronounce his name, is, is a pretty good player. Um, and I like Jade Nod out of the backfield. It's just that I think the offense is still kind of archaic. And I, I like Plummer. Plummer is fine. Like he's not going to, I don't think Plummer is going to go out of like lose you a bunch of games. He's also not going to win you anything. He's like the like game manager in the non complimentary sense. Like he's just kind of a guy. Um, and I think that that is limiting Cal here. And I think that's why they, they lost to a team like Wazoo, um, on the road. Um, and so moving on, then we both have Wazoo at five. I think it's pretty self-explanatory who they've beaten, who they've lost to. Um, you, I've got Utah at four, uh, the two losses, especially the way that UCLA kind of drummed them. I, I still like them against USC next week, um, in Salt Lake, but I'm going to put them at four now, uh, and USC at three. Because it doesn't really matter. Whoever wins that game will be ranked above the other in a week. And that will be the same for the one and two, um, based on that. So I, I agree with you. I have USC. I had USC at three last week. I, I think I'm going to keep them there. They're in Utah's at four for me. I, obviously, Utah losing to UCLA and is going to drop them. I think I had them at two two or three last week, or two last week. So they're going to drop down. UCLA's going to drop up. USC stays at three for me again. They've just had this stretch of wins that are not particularly impressive against teams that are okay, right? I mean, you know, Oregon State's okay, Washington State's okay, um, but they're not they're not really blowing these teams out of the water. So I, I, don't, yes. I don't I don't think you can put USC above either Oregon or UCLA, who've been much more impressive over these last few weeks. And I've, uh, I think we're we're opposite on this one. Probably I have UCLA at two, Oregon at one. It I totally understand if you have it the other way. I get it. They're going to play the next game against each other, so this will get decided pretty quickly here. I just think, as obviously UCLA's got the better resume over the last couple of weeks. You know, well the Washington win probably looks less impressive now, but going you know beating Utah is impressive. But I just my gut tells me Oregon's a better team, so I'm going with them. Yeah, that's fair. I I think well when we pick that game, you'll find out who I think is a better team, but. Um, UCLA beating Utah the way they did, I, despite the fact that Washington just fumbled against Arizona State, 
I still think that that's a somewhat impressive win, just given how explosive that passing game can be and really how not great UCLA's secondary has been at points this year. Um, so I'm going to give UCLA the one spot just based on resume. Again, this is completely not like the top four, like the order doesn't matter. We'll have, we'll have a lot of clarity in terms of where these teams should be after the next two weeks of play because we have to wait for bye weeks for Oregon and UCLA. Uh, but USC and Utah play next week. I, and I think the, the main like delineating factor for Utah versus the rest of the conference is that they're just there's not any there's not a, a spot where they're not competent. They're just not elite. Um, and there's every team below them has clear lapses in confidence at certain position groups uh, that Utah doesn't have. Yeah, I would agree with that. And obviously with, with three of the four top four being from the former South division and the scheduling still based on the old division alignment. So UCLA, USC and Utah will, will all play. Obviously, you know, UCLA and Utah already played, but um, you know, they'll all play each other in a full round Robin and, and Oregon and USC don't play each other, which is, you know, maybe a bit of an ex- advantage for those two teams when you start getting closer to the end of the season and look at, you know, the, the the standings for the top two in the conference title game. So we've already seen UCLA beat Utah, so that's done. Who would you favor right now between UCLA and USC, uh, knowing that the game's in Westwood? I think I'd take the Bruins. I, I just think their their offense is really good and USC's defense is is getting better I think and and certainly is opportunistic in the turnover category but um and I just I think I take the Bruins because I like their offense to score on the USC defense and the USC offense itself has just been kind of out of sync uh obviously there's a long time till that game is played so things can change but if they were playing right now I would take the Bruins yeah, early look like if if USC is capable, or sorry, if Utah is able to get a, a conference loss on USC's resume um, next week, the winner of Oregon UCLA is going to have a really really strong position moving forward um, in terms of the conference title race and getting securing a spot in that game. Um, so that like this game, this USC Utah game this weekend is going to be a really big primer, and I think it's only going to up the ante for the importance of that game at Odson that's going to take place in two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. If you, I think the what you said there is right on. I think if you look at those four teams as the probably the only four teams that are in play for. I mean, I know not technically right, but if you look at realistically and you start projecting likely outcomes, those are the only four teams that are in play for the conference uh, conference title game. And we we're gonna get a lot of clarity over the next couple of weeks. Like you said, we've got we've got USC and Utah playing this week. Then we got UCLA and Oregon playing the week after that. Um, and then and then you know. Honestly, UCLA has, we talked a lot about Washington's bad schedule, but UCLA has just an incredibly favorable schedule. Uh, they, they play eight home games this season. Uh, we know about their terrible non-conference. Um, after they go to Oregon, they play Stanford, Arizona State, Arizona before the SC game. And then they finish with Cal. I mean, UCLA could absolutely make hay until that SC game. And that could be... That could be a game where it's, you know, winners in at that point. Yeah, like I predicted UCLA to go 9-3 this year. I felt like they were a good enough team that they'd beat all the teams they should and, and lose to the teams that they that I thought they should preseason. I Like in hindsight, like I texted you and we texted back and forth the day after we recorded our preview podcast. Um, and frankly, like we recorded our preview podcast a day earlier than we typically would. Uh, and we both kind of flipped our picks just on, on UCLA and Utah. Like I just felt... I started to get feelings as that week went on, and I looked a little deeper at that matchup that 
UCLA was was probably the better team, and they ended up winning. Now it's like they play Oregon and U- USC, and I think that they're probably better than USC. And Oregon is going to be a good game. Um, UCLA could have a really good season. Ten and two is certainly in reach. Eleven and one, possibly, um, depending on kind of. We'll see how this this Oregon game goes to start. Uh, but good good for Chip Kelly. They're, he's got things kind of going in the right direction. Fortunately, I don't know how sustainable whatever success they have this year is because with DTR leaving and kind of their their route that they take in, into leveraging the transfer portal but not recruiting prep ranks um we'll see how things go with at ucla kind of following the season yeah absolutely uh game 12 which is or i'm sorry game 11 which is week 12 of the season is going to be another kind of the, the the other big weekend to watch for the pac-12 title race so that's the weekend that oregon and utah play but also sc and ucla play that same weekend you know if you recall they play a week they play that rivalry a week earlier than all the other traditional rivalries in the pac-12 so second to last game of the season all four of those teams are playing against each other so yeah depending on kind of what happens with utah down the stretch here it could be a situation like if utah loses this weekend they could be kind of locked into the fourth spot um pending some chaos yeah, if, I in most year and every year previously, two losses get you into the Pac-12 title game. But this year, because the top-heavy nature of the conference of those four teams, as well as because they've eliminated divisions, it might take eight and one to get in this year. Uh, just the way this this thing is trending, right? Uh, you know, if there's two teams that are eight and one or better, you're out at seven and two. It doesn't matter, you know, what your schedule is or what you know, old division you would have been in. And I think if, if Utah gets handed a second loss this week, they certainly can't afford a third and, and it might not matter. They might, even if they beat Oregon and win out and go seven and two, you could see SC and, and UCLA, you know, sitting there at, at eight and one or better each and cruise into the title game. So, yeah. Or even Oregon so even if Oregon loses that Utah game, maybe they're sitting at eight and one. So uh, it it's almost, you know, you hate to say it's a it's a must win game for Utah this coming weekend, but it might very well be. Yeah, I kind of think it is. Especially, we'll, we'll see. We'll reevaluate this entire conversation after after next week, and again after um, the following week when Oregon and UCLA get that game on. But it it could be pretty close to an eliminating game for you for Utah this week, just given how soft the schedules of USC and, and UCLA are down the stretch. Um, yeah. After, yeah. They. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. They both have incredibly soft schedules down the stretch. Obviously, you know USC's got to play Notre Dame. That's still the last game of the season. It doesn't matter for the conference though. So, um, you know, throw that out there. It's interesting though if USC continues to roll and uh, you know goes into that Notre Dame game having clinched a spot in the in the Pac-12 title game and and maybe looking for a. I mean, projecting way ahead. I don't think USC is going to be undefeated at that point, but they very well could be, given their schedule. And if they're playing for a CFP berth, that that could be an interesting game. And, you, and Notre Dame's starting to play a lot better, so they're not. You know, they're a lot better than they were those first few weeks. Agreed. Well, let's wrap up here with these uh, these national games and, and and get out of here. Let's do it. Um, you were much better than me overall in the picks this week, so I'm not going to give any suspense here. You went eight, five, and one on the week. I went five, eight, and one on the season. You're at 60%, so that's pretty good. If people were just betting the QB 11 picks, they'd be, they'd be up a bit. Hopefully we can maintain. I don't know that that's going to happen, but it seemed like this weekend was fairly straightforward, um, especially nationally. 
Easy for you to say. I was three games under 500. Uh, <laughs> let's start with the one where we tied, uh, TCU and Kansas. This was a great football game. I don't know if you got to watch this one, but I watched a, a good chunk. I was flipping back and forth in that 9 a.m. slot, but I was on this one a lot. Uh, TCU was a seven-point favorite, one by seven, 38 to 31 at Kansas, and really entertaining football game. Yeah, I did. I watched most of this game. Uh, we were kind of flipping back and forth, sampling the, the 9 a.m. games. But uh, TCU, we were, I think we were both on the right side of this. I think TCU was the better team. Kansas, even with the back of a quarterback, though, was really making some plays. And had Jalen da- uh, Daniels actually played, uh, this, this might have gone to overtime because there was some missed opportunities late. But also some really big time throws by being the backup. So fun game. Um, I, TCU is really really good though, and it took a, it took a lot of pretty pretty unique and and crazy catches by Kansas receivers to keep this game as close as it was. Yeah, that well, both teams had some just incredible catches in this game. I mean, there was four or five highlight reel catches in this game alone. It was a, a really fun game to watch offensively for sure. How about our our friends down in Miami? Uh, they were a four point favorite in this one, uh, hosting North Carolina. Uh, I I took the L on this one because I picked Miami to to cover that four. They lost the game twenty seven twenty four. Um, you know, only being able to put twenty four points against a North Carolina defense, which is absolutely awful and has been lit up all season long. Miami, they passed for 500 yards, had 600 total yards, and somehow only managed 24 points. Well, not only that, this was off a bye week. Yeah, uh, this I don't know what's going on down there. Three losses in a row for Crystal Ball and company. Well, first things first, Drake May is legitimately like probably a top five or six quarterback in college football. He's awesome for for North Carolina. Um, and, and having Josh Downs back, I think, was an impact for them. Miami gives up a lot of explosive plays off defensively. They don't, they don't really get any offensively, which is crazy because this North Carolina defense has made everybody look explosive offensively, um, which is really an indictment on the Miami offense. So they're two and three now. I don't know how much easier things are going to get. Uh, this was a divisional loss for them. The ACC is not doing top two teams. Uh, so this is a pretty important loss for them as they try to make their way to the ACC championship game. Yeah, I, I they've got they've got what should be a very winnable game up next for them next week, but I don't know is any game you you penciling any game for them right now as as an easy win because they've they've managed to to not look very good uh, much at all. So, um, uh, go ahead. Excellent. Let's move on. We 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 picked a G five game, and uh, I, I think it's really important that we highlight this game for multiple reasons. Nah. Um, including for some listeners. So, Doug, why don't you, why don't you uh, kind of give the primer for this two-lane ECU game? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously our, our friends Mitt and Clayton, particularly Mitt, Mitt is a lover of, of lower-level football. He loves watching. He talks about FCS football all the time, loves touting FCS football, particularly the Big Sky Conference. Don't ask me why. Loves his G5 ball. So we, we threw this in here for him. And, you know, I really, I really thought pirates sailed on waves, but uh, in this case, the, the pirates sank beneath the waves, you know, pretty easily, um, 24 to nine and the purple, I, it was my fault. Like I picked a team who wears purple. Like that's my first mistake there. Or, right? like, really, this isn't, this isn't your fault because you didn't know anything about these teams, but you were actually on the side that are 
friend Mitt was on, um, when clearly Tulane is a very good team, very good defensively. What they did to Kansas State was not a fluke. Um, Willie Fritz, their head coach, is going to have a Power Five job very, very soon. But yeah, like I, I again, you you just kind of threw threw this one out to pick against me. But uh, this is more of a pick of myself against some of our listeners. And um, Tulane is a good football team, and they they might win the American. So it'll be really interesting to see how that that conference plays out as the year goes on. Let's let's move down to the Red River Shootout um, and cover shootout. this. Can you call this a shootout? Uh, yeah. Execution. Yeah, the Red River execution. Uh, Quinn Ewers was back, played really, really well. He's he's very good. Um, and I think I, I'm feeling pretty good about the fact that we picked the over on Texas and their win totals. I know they have two losses already. They don't have a lot of room for error left. But now that they have Ewers back, that offense is cooking. Their defense has improved substantially. Well, we'll find out how substantially the defense has improved. Oklahoma is just... They are horrible. What the heck is going on in Norman? I I like I I picked Texas to win this game handily. I thought seven was an easy cover. I thought it was going to be a multiple score game, but forty nine to zero? Forty nine to zero? Like, yeah, I think I, we Brett Venables, what is going on down there? I know they have injuries. They're missing their quarterback. I don't think it matters. Like I just think that Oklahoma's bad. I think this is far from the last loss on this schedule. I'm starting to question if they're going to make a bowl game. Wow. Can you imagine? I mean, this is the team that has won more football games than anyone in the in the 20, 21st century. Uh, I've been to multiple playoffs. And to, to sit here and say they're going to, they're struggling to make a bowl game, it's, it's kind of incredible. Well, it's also a team that's had back-to-back Heisman winning quarterbacks in the last five years. Um, and they have they they haven't experienced anything close to this level of poor quarterback play in a long time. Yeah, they're they're three and three. They've lost three games in a row. Uh they got Kansas coming up, so that's not a gimme by any stretch, which is funny to hear anyone say that about a game uh Kansas against Oklahoma. And then of course Iowa State, who's you know, that game could be a very low scoring game. Uh, Baylor is not going to be an easy out. Well, there's no easy outs in the Big 12. West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and then Texas Tech. I mean, that's uh, they got to win three of those just to get bowl eligible. And like you said, it's not a, it's not a guarantee. No, not nowhere near a guarantee. Um, m- moving on, Tennessee at LSU. We both picked Tennessee in this one. This one was really straightforward. Tennessee beat them 40 to 13. Not really close. I don't think we really need to spend too much time on it. Um, Tennessee offensively looks really good. I think they're actually undervalued by the AP a little bit right now. That matchup with Alabama next week is going to be a really fun game to watch. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, they're undervalued, but it doesn't matter because they got if they go to Alabama or they sorry they host Alabama. If they win that game, then they're going to shoot way up. And if they lose, they're you know depending on how they lose, they might not fall that far. But um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward. That's obviously the game of the week in college football coming up. Um, I'm looking forward to watching that one during during Oregon's bye week for sure. Uh, which brings us uh, to another SEC game. Uh, Mississippi State was an eight-point favorite over Arkansas, and we we both were all over Mississippi State in this one, and Mike Leach and company did not let us down. 40-17. to 17. I didn't watch a play of this game, but a, a pretty handy win there for, for uh, Mississippi State. Yeah, yeah. Arkansas can't stop the pass. Mississippi State throws the ball really well. But the interesting thing about this was I think Mississippi State had almost, or they might have had over, over 300 yards rushing in this game. 
um, which is definitely not what I was expecting. But uh, nonetheless, dominant win for Mississippi State. Mississippi State very well could be the second best team in the West. Um, I should say in the SEC West. Yeah, I I mean it's either them or A and M, right? Yeah, oh, I was way off. He only had 173 yards rushing, but that's still a lot for a Mike Leach uh, team. team. Yeah, Sorry. partner with 395 through the air from Will Rogers. Um, good opportunistic defense, classic Mike Leach offense. They're going to be a tough out for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, here's a game. The next one up, I got wrong, unfortunately, and you were able to to get this one right. So BYU was a three and a half point underdog to Notre Dame in the Vegas uh, neutral site game. The what do they call that? The what do the Notre Dame call that series of game? The Shamrock series. That's what they're calling it. So Notre Dame uh, took care of business, twenty eight to twenty. So it was a fairly close game, um, but Notre Dame yeah, continues to improve, continues to look better week to week and they uh take care of the cougars from byu yeah solid performance from byu actually a little bit more competitive than i anticipated it would be uh romney and nakua continue to struggle with injuries they're just not very explosive offensively without them and so until they get nakua and romney back i'm probably gonna be fading byu yeah did they end up dropping out of the of the top 25 or stay in the back end of it i didn't notice that uh i haven't even looked at the ap poll so i couldn't tell you I'll find out. But yeah, they're they're like you said, they're offensively limited, but but putting up 20 on an Irish defense that's been really really strong is you know, like you said, more competitive than we probably expected. Uh moving over to the Big 12, Kansas State, Iowa State played a riveting football game. We both got this one wrong cuz we had Kansas State minus 2 and Kansas State won by 1, 10 to 9. Again, a game I didn't see any of, but I'm I'm be interested to see how that game played out. Defensive battle. Yeah, Iowa State, it's like teams from Iowa just love to make games ugly rock fights, and Iowa State was able to do that, covered the spread. Uh, I had a little bit more faith in Kansas State, but it's hard to trust them to consistently perform a week-to-week offensively without any vertical passing game at all. So uh, Kansas State offense is a lot like Oregon's from last year, except Martinez is a much more explosive runner than Anthony Brown was. Yeah, definitely a defensive battle. There was only one turnover in this game. Um, Iowa State had 276 yards. Kansas State had 388. So just a just an old-fashioned Midwest slugfest. Yeah, so this game, the last game we're going to talk about here was the Florida State-NC State game. We both got this wrong. This was an NC State favored by three and a half. Uh, NC State won, ended up winning 19-17. to Florida State really had the lead 90% of this game. Um, just kind of watching the score of this game on my phone, I didn't get a chance to watch a ton, so I don't have a lot of analysis to add. But just it seemed like a game that Florida State was in control of for the most part, but NC State kind of found a way to win ugly late, um, which is interesting because this was a home game for NC State. So good performance for a really banged-up Florida State team. Unfortunately, we were both wrong on this pick, but uh, nonetheless – tough stretch of games playing Wake, NC State, and Clemson back-to-back-to-back for Florida State. Yeah, absolutely. I think that wraps up our picks. I think we're going to be doing some interesting bi-week content over the next week. It's the halfway point of the season for Oregon, which is the perfect time. We're going to bring Hithliday back on for a mid-season review. So you're going to want to listen to that. We're also going to talk about, you know, 
kind of the first half of the season for Oregon and as well as the Pac-12 and around the country of, you know, surprise teams, disappointing teams, give out some midseason awards and and some other cool content during the bye week. So definitely we'll keep the same cadence going. We'll have two episodes just like we do every week. And you're going to want to listen to those. Yeah. So this week we're going to be actually previewing the other Pac-12 games more because Oregon isn't playing. Um, and then I think we'll be doing our review and, and all that stuff, kind of trying to keep a similar cadence so that you guys can have the content on the days you're, you're used to having it on. All right. I think that wraps up. Any last words, QB? Or you want to sign us off? No, I just want to appreciate everybody for continuing to listen. The podcast has grown substantially over the last couple of weeks. Um, make sure to follow Doug on Twitter at Doug, Douglas TS. Am I, am I getting it right this time, Doug? Yeah, at Douglas TS. At Douglas TS. Follow me at QB11SD. Uh, Really appreciate it. We will be talking to you guys later this week.